0: Just a few steps from this temple was a cemetery where many jars were found containing remains of infants who had been sacrificed in the temple. Prophets of Baal and Asherah were official murderers of little children. This is a sidelight on Elijah's execution of the prophets of Baal. Today, we have these people just railing. We want the right to kill the unborn. We demand that right. And we'll stop you from preaching against us if it comes to that.
1: This is Cross Reference Radio with our pastor and teacher, Rick Gaston. Rick is the pastor of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville. Pastor Rick is currently teaching through the book of 1 Kings. Please stay with us after today's message to hear more information about Cross Reference Radio, specifically how you can get a free copy of this teaching. Now here's Pastor Rick with his continuing message called Elijah on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings chapter 18. God's original design
0: and desire was for Israel to be united before Him, but everything is all messed up now. And that's what the prophet is pointing out. Verse 32, then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sets of seed. It's about over four gallons. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces, laid it on the wood, and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it out on the burnt sacrifice, and on the wood. You know, if you go up on Mount Carmel, there are a lot of stones up there, large, sizable stones that you can lift and you can build an altar. I remember sitting up on Mount Carmel on stones, and I'm praying to the Lord, telling him how I'm the only really smart pastor on the mountain right now. And (laughs) uh, then I got a thought in my head. You know, snakes like rocks. So I went to the tour guide. Hey, you got poisonous snakes here? Yeah, we got a lot of them. Mm. Would have been good to tell me that for sitting over there in the bushes by him. Anyway, uh, that's truly happened. I did not want to sit over there anymore. Because uh, <laughs> it was warm enough, and they come out. Hey, how you doing? They disappear. They've got this cloaking device. Anyhow, I have a quote from Tozer at this point. Because here we are. He arranges the altar just the way it's supposed to be. And, of course, he floods it with water. He's going to. He's given the command to, and they gotta haul this water up. So the clock's ticking, right? Sun, sundown's coming. I told you, said theological facts are like the altar of Elijah on Carmel before the fire, before the fire came. Correct, properly laid out, but altogether cold. That has sat with me for over 30 years. Cause I think about, you know, okay, well, it has to have the fire of God. It cannot just be, I've got all these facts. What does it mean to you? Uh, just the last four Sundays, I've been going home with one of the songs stuck in my head, just singing it in my head all week. This Sunday was Source of God, and it has been loving it. You can't do that if you only have theological facts. All you can do with theological facts is debate. But when you have that fire, that passion, everything changes. So, yeah, Tozer made a good point, and that's right. If no fire came down on this altar, it would have just been a proper altar, but meaningless as those of the prophets of Baal, verse 34. Then he said, do it a second time, and they did it a second time, and he said, do it a third time, and they said, you know, you're getting carried away. No, they didn't. <laughs> do it a third time, and they did it a third time. Now, you got to love that the prophet speaks to people, tells the king, meet me up there on the mountain with your prophets, and it happens. He tells the people, bring two bulls and then, you know, build this altar. Come to me, build the altar, bring up some water, do it three times. Thoroughly soaking this altar, making them dependent on God so that no one can say, you snuck a match into the pile. Uh, this is you no know, match going to light this. Uh, this would be difficult for them to accuse Elijah of trickery. Verse 36, and it came to pass at that time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, there's another time stamp for us, it's about 3 p.m. now, that Elijah the prophet came here and said, Yahweh God of Abraham, Isaac, and all Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. This is huge. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen by it. The elders obtained a good testimony, and that's what we're looking at. Here's a man that said, I believe God's going to make it rain. I believe he's going to send fire on the altar. How do you get this kind of stuff? I've been trying to get it like this, you know. Uh, just, you know, a simple prayer like, God, can there be no other cars on the road when I'm driving? And it's just not happening. Anyhow, this is impressive when he says, I am your servant. And that I have done all these things by your word. Now, man can be right with that, and he is right. And again, with him, it's got that asterisk on it. Yeah, but I'm the only one, the Tigger complex. Well, remember what he is saying here when we get to verse 43. Um, I reminded you about verse 30 when we got to that point that was made. Now, this second point is that he is doing this at God's word. This is not that Elijah has said, okay, the drought, I think it should end now. People are having a hard time. That is not what has happened. What is happening is he's doing what God has told him. And that is a big part. We'll come back to that. Verse 37 now. Hear me, O Yahweh, hear me, that this people may know that you are Yahweh God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Another big verse. So the whole Elijah is trying to win souls, win apostates back to God. Jeremiah says, God's speaking through him. If you return, O Israel, says Yahweh, return to me. And if you will put away your abominations out of my sight, then you shall not be moved. And This is the heart of God, the mercy of the Lord. He could have said, you know what, after all I've done for these people, this is what I get in return. I'm just going to let them die out and the next generation I'll invest myself in them. But that's not what God does. You cannot say that God loves the youngest child in the church any more than the oldest servant in the church. His love does not fade. He doesn't look at us and say, you know, you're not as cute as you used to be. It was so much easier to love you when you were just a little thing. But now, no, that is not what God says. Isaiah talks about that. It says, God will be with me even through my old age. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell and consume the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust and lick up the water that was in the trench. If I could just get past these verses so I can make my comment. <laughs> because it's so exciting. This is the fourth time in Scripture that this is said at least the fourth time. It's happened Solomon when he dedicated the temple in 2 Chronicles chapter 7. The fire came down on the altar also. Just another example. Verse 39 now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. The chant now comes out. They're converted. They said, you know, fair enough. They could halt between two opinions. Well, they're not halted now. This is progress. You imagine Elijah gave up on them when they said nothing. He could have said, well, you, don't, you can't speak up. You can't commit to Yahweh. They do not do that. He just continues to move forward with his program. He's totally in control. And when you're sharing Christ, as long as they're letting you speak, you're in control. The Spirit is moving forward. Even if it ends up ending in persecution, you're in control. Because, well, you have the floor. And what you have to say is taken seriously. Otherwise, you wouldn't be persecuted. So they're either going to persecute you, mock you with a mock mocking, false mockings, or they're going to take to heart what you're saying. Verse 39 Now, when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Uh, So in an instant, they realized how terribly they were deceived. Paul, when he wrote to the Thessalonians, who, as I mentioned, were into paganism and the heathen world all around them, they were hungry and thirsty for a righteousness they didn't know existed. And then Paul brings it and he writes to them. He says, everybody's boasting about you in a righteous way. For they themselves declare, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, concerning us, what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. So Paul says, we brought the message to you. You listened to us and you were converted. The God who answers by fire, he is God. And here it is happening here. It happens in the fullness of the Spirit upon the the Christian. You have a pastor who goes to the pulpit, you better hope. God, who answers by fire, anoints him to speak so that he does not depart from the word. Even if he is afraid to say something because people might leave the church, but he knows God is selling him. He's got to say this, and that's what it has to be. The minute he starts fearing consequences over what God says, it's not a good beginning in that direction. Verse 40, (laughs) see, when I was younger, I would have smashed it. If he does that, he would have been an imbecile. But now I'm mature and wise and mellow and the only prophet in the pulpit. But now I know better. I know a little better. and I'll leave some space there to be wrong again. Anyway, verse 40, Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. Two violent episodes, at least in Scripture, demand a verdict against ecumenicism. The ecumenicism is that all the other religions are fine. It really doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if they're a church, but they don't believe in the Bible, and they believe that uh, there's many ways to heaven. That's ecumenicism. We're going to have a rabbi come up and preach in our church now, and I'm going to pray with him. That's ecumenicism, and God condemns that. The first one is Samuel and Agag. Samuel would have no part of this, and he hacked them in pieces. And then the second, and there's others, but these are two big ones, Elijah and the prophets of Baal here. He's executing them. The signal is we're not called to violence, but we are called to spiritual violence against lies. We're not to tolerate them. We're to take a sword to lies about Jesus Christ verbally. God does not leave us supposing that mingling into the Christian faith somehow improves what he has done. When Jesus said, "It's finished. It is done," and so God does not espouse peace with a lie. This is truly spiritual war on a physical battlefield here. But also Matthew ten thirty four. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. is serious. A sword is always serious. If you see somebody walking down the street with a firearm, a pistol. You notice it because it's serious. Well, the sword is supposed to be the same way. And hopefully your co-workers will treat you as being serious about your faith, even if they don't share it. To let these men escape would be license for them to continue their apostasy and their influence. Now, here's a Haley's Bible Handbook, 24th edition. Anything after the 24th edition, don't waste your time. Uh, anyway, Henry Haley writes this on this section. He says, a temple of Ashereth, goddess wife of Baal, just a few steps from this temple was a cemetery. Now, the archaeologists, I'm sorry, I didn't set this up. The archaeologists have found where their temple was in this part of the world. Uh, Just a few steps from this temple was a cemetery where many jars were found containing remains of infants who had been sacrificed in the temple. Prophets of Baal and Ashereth were official murderers of little children. This is a sidelight on Elijah's execution of the prophets of Baal. Today we have these people just railing, we want the right to kill the unborn. We demand that right. And we'll stop you from preaching against us if it comes to that. Anyway, Carmel, this Kishon, shows up in the book of Judges. It's where Sisera's army was slaughtered by Barak, sorry. And at the moment, it's dry because of the drought. Verse 41, Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So he tells him, go to your camp and indulge yourself because that's what you do and that's who you are. Rain's coming. You're happy now? (laughs) You want to go back to your old lifestyle? Not a peep from Ahab. I mean, you would think Ahab would have said, what do you mean go and eat? He just killed all my wife's prophets. You would think there would be some recorded response from Ahab. He gets on his chariot and he goes. He says, For there's a sound of abundant rain. Baal was the main deity in Canaan, as mentioned before, and he was the god of rainfall. And so I, the irony, intentionally, Isaiah makes this challenge, you know, to bring fire down and he soaks up the altar and Baal should have prevailed. And this was his area of expertise if he were real. Well, much more to say, but time's running out. Verse 42, so Ahab went up to eat and drink, and Elijah went up to the top of Carmel, and he bowed down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Now, Ahab is heading towards Jezreel, where the capital was, his home. Elijah goes up to the mountain, it's higher up, because they're certainly not at the apex where this, all this was taking place. Elijah's going to catch him and outrun him, but that comes later. Anyway, so without hesitation, Ahab, he leaves. And it is a shame that he will listen to the prophet's instructions, but not when it comes to righteousness. And Elijah went up to the top of Mount Carmel. Then he bowed down on the ground, put his face between his knees, and we'll pause there. This is his prayer posture for this. This is how he's moved to pray. No screaming and shouting and cutting himself. God promised rain, but it still demands prayer. Is that not insightful? God said, I'm going to make it rain, but still the prophet has to pray. Prayer in the midst of prophecy. James 5.16, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, he certainly has Elijah in mind because he's been talking about him. James, that is. Verse 43, and said to his servant, "See, so he has a servant that he will abandon, next chapter, go up now, look toward the sea, and, So he went up, looked, and said, there's nothing. And seven times he said, go again. Now, you can stand on Mount Carmel, and you can look. If you face north, you can look to the left, and you can see the Mediterranean Sea. And without moving, you look to the right, and you can see the Sea of Galilee. It's a nice little feature about Mount Carmel. He's looking for fulfillment of God's word. That's what he's sending him to look for. Seven times. I would have given up at five, because that's just a good number to quit at. Anyway, when we pray, it's good to remember Elijah. But now I come to a point I want to make. There is an ocean of difference between persistent prayer and forced entry in prayer. There are those that preach this breakthrough stuff. you got to break through in prayer as though, you know, God is reluctant or something or that it's in your power. And there are subtle differences, but they are important. This prayer of Elijah is built on what? I said we'd come back to this here in verse 43. It's built on the command of God's word. It wasn't something Elijah thought up. I want it to reign. And this is what a lot of people who just breakthrough. I think this would be done. And it's their will, breaking and entering is a crime. Even Jesus stood at the door and knocked. Did not break his way into the church of Laodicea in way of illustration. When Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said, Thy will be done. He wasn't saying if I just, you know, stay at it, I can get God to do what I'm praying because I'm going to break through this thing. It's not right. The Son of God, on those two occasions, to those very serious occasions, illustrates to us that when we pray, we're in submission to the will of God, as was the prophet. He said, I am doing, I am the servant, I am doing God's will. And so by this insistence in prayer, and that's what it is, insisting, I think we corrupt persistent prayer. Prayer, there are times when we are not with vain repetitions, though there may be repetitions, something's weighing on us and we can sense the Spirit leading us. And those who preach this breakthrough, I think, confuse and corrupt the persistent prayer, as I said, and more self-will in Jesus' name, as though the name of Jesus just is open sesame because I've said his name. If I say it enough times, you got to yield to me. And a lot of a lot of Christians are buying this stuff because they want prayer to work, but that's not how life is in Christ. Elijah is under orders. He's not determined to break the drought because he needs rain. Again, 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. Go present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the earth. Man's needs are always secondary to God's will. That is a constant. It does not change. Had Peter tried to break through while in Herod's jail, he would have died disappointed. God sent an angel to open the iron gate. We don't even read of Peter praying. Read of him sleeping in jail. Peter could have walked around saying, you know, Adam bomb could have hit him. He wouldn't have died. It could have been a direct strike because Jesus told him, when you get old, Peter, you're going to die. Uh, He doesn't work that way. That would have been tempting God and not a wise thing to do. But it's kind of humorous to think of it that way. Imagine if Jesus said, you know, you're not going to die until this age. Then you could start jumping off bridges, right? you, You could not. You'd be, again, undoing the promise. You wouldn't get that kind of a promise. So here he is under orders and... Acts chapter 12, and when Herod was about to bring him out, that's Peter, that night Peter was sleeping, bound with two chains between two soldiers, and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. So Peter says, look, okay, here I am. He doesn't try to, just got to break through these guards, break through these chains, a lot of breaking through going on here. And I just think that this is lost sight of. Moses was told by God to stop praying about this. Deuteronomy 3.26. Moses wanted to get into the promised land. He said, oh, i come this far. This is just not right. And it's your people that caused this situation. Secretly, I like to say this, don't tell God. Secretly, I side with Moses. Those people were irritating. But don't tell the Lord because I don't want to get a dose of what Moses got. Now you got to know I'm being ridiculous. But the Lord was angry with me on your account. <laughs> I love that Moses puts that in there. He's what a man, and would not listen to me. So Yahweh said to me, enough of that. Speak no more to me of this matter. There goes your breakthrough. It's the will of God that drives our prayer. And it doesn't drive it, it leads us. And you know, many of you have been through some tough things, praying to God, you could sense his presence. And I think sometimes maybe you can look back and say, I can remember praying for things I really wanted that God didn't want me to have. Don't let it corrupt your theology. Elijah persisted seven times because God told him this is what he wanted. Full assurance. Paul said, I sought the Lord three times about this thing. You know what God said to me? My grace is sufficient for you. I'm not going to grant this. You're just going to have to live with my grace. You're going to have to know that I love you and I'm going to take care of you. And Paul said, I, I, I. That's the way, yes, Lord, and and went on about his business. So, yeah, I do get irritated when people come up with these little catchy phrases and sell books, and they make a lot of money from Christians that go around, and then they start repeating this because they bought the program. And just the Bible. You tell me about a movie, a Christian movie. Okay, that's fine, but I got the Bible. I have the source. And if you like the movie, that's fine. I'm not coming against you with that. And I might even like it, but I might not. I might not even watch it. Because cartoons are so attractive. Those loony tunes forget. No, I'm kidding. Let me finish this up. There is nothing. That's what the response was. Persistent prayer, of course, when it knows God's will, has to not back down. Reading prayers, they are a force against hell. And we move to verse 44. Then it came to pass the seventh time that he said there is a cloud as small as a man's hand rising out of the sea. So he said, go up and say to Ahab, prepare your chariot and go down before the rain stops. OK, so early I had already had him in his chariot heading home, but evidently not. So I've lost sight of that, but I will not confess that I lost sight of it under oath. So the fact is that there can be no progress in the Christian life without prayer. That is one of the great lessons out of this. Even with the will of God, you cannot progress as a Christian. You cannot mature as a Christian if you don't pray. Should it be any other way? If you don't talk to God, why should God minister to you? There are things that God gives in answer to prayer that he will not give without prayer. That is a fact. He wants his people involved with him, but he does not want them to be nagging him. And we have to watch out for that. All of us do. It would be so nice if I were perfect. I could stand up here and tell you all what to do right and not have to worry myself. But that is not how it is. I need prayer. I need people praying for me. I need to pray for myself. I pray for the people in this flock. To tell you, one of my favorite prayers is I ask God to get you to give me money. No, never, never. All right, verse 45. Now it happened in the meantime that the sky became black with clouds and the wind and there was a heavy rain so Ahab rode away and went to Jezreel. You would think that everybody would say, Baal's not the storm god. Yahweh is the god of all. Nothing didn't happen. Verse 46. Then the hand of Yahweh came upon Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. So this distance is about 13 miles or more. Depends on what part. Uh, this is hilly, of course. And he outruns the chariot. This is a miracle. This is not like, oh, you know, he, this is um, pretty impressive. Figuring he's been up all day. That's why he was snacking on the locust. Well, he, I, he doesn't say that he was, but we know he liked those kind of things. <laughs> so anyway, I think he wanted to get there to see the look on the face of everyone when it was told. And he did not factor in. He got a little presumptuous. He did not factor in Satan's response. And uh, we learn a lesson. If you're going to preach and start leading people to righteousness in Satan's territory, don't be surprised if he rears up
1: against you. But God is stronger and can make Satan helpless. Thanks for joining us for today's teaching on Cross Reference Radio. This is the daily radio ministry of Pastor Rick Gaston of Calvary Chapel Mechanicsville in Virginia. We trust that what you've heard today in the book of First Kings has had a lasting imprint on your life. If you'd like to listen to more teachings from this series or share it with someone you know, please visit crossreferenceradio.com. We encourage you to subscribe to our podcast too so you'll never miss another edition. Just visit crossreferenceradio.com and follow the links under radio. Again, that's crossreferenceradio.com. Our time with you today is about up, but we hope you'll tune in next time to continue studying the Word of God. Join us again as Pastor Rick covers more in the book of 1 Kings on Cross Reference Radio.